Welcome, everybody, to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you so very much for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Uh, remember, no matter where you're watching us from, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, make sure you like, follow, and subscribe. And also, wherever you access your uh, podcast from, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, uh, you can find Studio B on those same po- uh, platforms as well. Today, man, I have a very, 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 very special show, man. I got two brothers to my left and my right, and I want to kind of frame this for you so that you understand what's getting ready to to happen here on the set. Uh, These two brothers, I got Pastor Lauren Scott, who is the senior pastor of Harvest Point Church in Pearland, Texas. And then I have Pastor James Lee, who is the executive director of Heavenly Hands. But we have this group. Is it a group? Is it? It's a group. It's a group. I thought a group. Okay, it's a group, and it's called Curb, and K-I-R-B, and it means keep it real, brother. So while all of us are pastors, when we come together in a curb, it's Scott, it's Holman, and it's Lee, right? So we take the monikers off and just kind of talk uh, amongst brothers because as pastors, you know, sometimes we need a, a relief valve and have some people around you that you can share those kind of vulnerable moments with. And so this is one of these things that was, you know, God-ordained, I would say, mm. uh, back in 2010, 2009, 2010, somewhere yeah, around right there. Around that time, yeah. So right around that time, man, you know, God put a group of people together, man, and it's been a blessing for me uh, in regards to exchanging ideas in a very safe space, um, even with people that disagree with you on times but can disagree respectfully. Um, so that's that kind of group that you're getting ready to see here. So I got uh, Pastor Lawrence Scott, uh, Pastor James Lee, or Lee and Scott, and there is, how many did I say, 50 years of marriage? You've been yeah. married for? 15 years. 15? 19. That's 34. I'm going on 20. So that's 50 years of marriage mm. at this table. There is 16 kids, 15. You got six. I got six. I got four. Five. And you got five. What is that? 15. Yeah, that's 15. 15 kids uh, amongst this right here. And then we got several years of ministry that are represented. So, fellas, um, I am excited about this. Um, because I know what we bring when we talk. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some real issues, and we're going to talk about them in a curb way. Yeah. So how are you guys doing today, Scott? I'm doing wonderful. Can I say this? We also have a few other guys who are part of this group who could not be here as part of this curb piece, and I wanted to make sure that they— But they name my death. So we have Corey Fontenot. We have Scotty Clark, Clark Booker. And Clark Booker. So we got uh, Corey Fontenot, and then we got the resident— uh, don't you hate when Scotty put that stuff on Facebook? Yeah, he be he be calling us out, bro. <laughs> Did y'all see the little purse? I saw it. I was like, he doing leather work now. Yeah, yeah, building stuff. Building My stuff. wife looking at me like, bro, <laughs> so, where you at? So check this out, and I hope this makes it up to the cut. This is, this is what went through my mind <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. about maybe six months ago. Yeah. So first of all, Scotty, good-looking brother. Yeah. He got about 2% body fat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He uh, he loved the Lord, so he got that going for him, too. He's 20 years younger than me, yeah. and he can build with his hands. What yeah. in the world yeah. is going on about my, 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 my. He got too many talents, man. Yeah, yeah. Like Enoch. I think God can just call him up. <laughs> Shout out to Corey, to Booker. No, yeah, and you know, yeah. Booker is the old wise owl, so you yeah. know, he's the balance of the group. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to all those other Curb Brothers, man. When when we get a bigger set, we'll have everybody in here yeah. uh, to kind of chop it up. But, man, how you guys doing? How is life treating you guys on both sides? Man, family's doing amazing. Uh, wife is great. Kids are great. Church is wonderful, man. We're good. That's good. That's yeah. good. Lee? Everything is good, man. Uh, work is wonderful, busy. You, the wife and I, of course, as you guys know, we're the empty nesters. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a lot of fun running around doing what we do. And the grandkids are are there a lot, so... 
Uh, he's rubbing that in, y'all. Yeah, um, I just want to let y'all know. Because I'm over here in the struggle. I got two kids in college. I got on. another one on the way to college. Mm. And then two years after that, I'll have four kids in college. So um, I'll be eating Roman noodles and Kool-Aid packs for the next uh, four years. So, God, y'all y'all be praying for me. Um, but everybody, let's, let, let's dive right in. Yes, sir. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on. or still going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, 2020 was that kind of year. <clears throat> For all of us, mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, we were going through in some way, shape, or form. But now we are in 2021. Uh, kind of give me your perspective of what life looks like from your vantage point. Where, what is, how are you looking at life through your lens right now, Scott? Yeah, great question. I think 2020 uh, taught us some stuff. Uh, it reminded us um, of, we, of the fact that we can be prepared, but there are some things you can't prepare for, you know, we did not anticipate the pandemic, but it helped us grow in a lot of areas, I think. So personally, uh, as a pastor, I grew a whole lot. You know what I mean? Like it helped me lead a church through a pandemic and that that's kind of shaped the way I lead going forward. As a church, we grew together. Uh, as a family, we grew, uh, had a chance to spend more time together and things like mm-hmm. that. So for me, this year is a year where we get to um, take the things that we learned in 2020 and keep them, at least the positive things, and keep them uh, as an ongoing thing. And so this is not necessarily a rebuild, but a continuation, in a sense, of some positive things. And I think for um, when it comes to uh, us as people getting back together, I do see a sense of, you know, as people get this vaccine, however they feel about that, us coming back together and returning to uh, some sense of normalcy. um, but, yeah, so I think this year is going to be a, a chance for people to reconnect, to grow from what they experienced last year, and a lot of positive things happening uh, going forward. That's a good word because, you know, when I say for me and my family and, you know, my little worldview, uh, I know it may seem strange to say, but 2020 was actually a very productive year for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I seen a lot of areas of my life that really grew uh, during that time of all the stuff that was coming at us on a daily basis. Yeah. Family life was wonderful. Me and the wife got to, you know, do what we do. Our kids, you know, they came home from college because they had to negotiate with COVID-19. So, mm. you know, we had the whole family there in the house. Um, you know, some things, some positive things happened in my life and in our life in COVID-19. So when I sit out there on that ledge and say, actually, when I look back at 2020, it was actually a very productive year for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. And I understand that withstanding all the stuff that we had to deal with. But, you know, just for Team Holman, it was actually a very, very good year. So, Lee, how how did you frame it? What, what did 2020 look like for you? Well, 2020 gave us a, a, a push because working in uh, the service industry with Bethel's Heavenly Hands and, and the benevolence ministry and feeding folk and taking care of the folk and meeting those needs, because, you know, a lot of the people that are in our community and just in the United States, you know, lost their jobs and they didn't have money. So we had to provide services to those folk. And we at one point we were doing about 28 and we were doing 28,000 folk for the month of April and the month of May of last year. Hmm. So what what it did for us was it it showed us that we could expand and, and push ourselves to the limit. And we pushed ourselves to that limit. So now in 2021, we can't go backwards. Mm. So it gave uh, it stretched us to the point now that we now we know that we can go that far. So how much further can we go? Ain't that a problem with success? now? Mm -hmm. Because once you hit it, you know, even if it's unintentional, you can now not go back because you've hit a certain mark. So let me ask you, fellas. So let's kind of let's dump into this. Let's let's look at some of the issues that are still on the table right now. What was 
the the thing on the, the news, no matter what news cycle that you look at, it's always in your face. Mm. Uh, we got social unrest. We got political unrest. We got confusion in the land. Uh, but let's talk about this race reconciliation, this race issue that we got in America right now that's always on the front line. Kind of give me your thoughts about what that looks like from a 30,000 view, and then let's get into the specifics of it. Yeah, racial reconciliation. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think so. Biblically, I, obviously, we would pursue that. Right? Unity is something that's a work of the Holy Spirit. And those of us who love the Lord should be interested in the work of the spirit to be unified. Um, but I think in a broad sense, racial reconciliation uh, hasn't worked for us and is not working like we wanted to, because I think there needs to be a, a place of racial recognition. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we reconciling? Mm hmm. Yeah. And that's yeah. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you often find is people just disagree. For example, um, a group of people might say, hey, racism is an experience at the individual level. And whenever that happens at the individual level, we can, you know, be sympathetic, empathetic for that person and help them in that individual space. That's a group of people for the most part. Another group is saying, no, this is a systemic thing. Mm-hmm. It's bigger than the individual act. It's a system. Mm-hmm. Now, if we talk racial reconciliation and this group is trying to reconcile with this group. And again, there's some variety of thought yeah, between yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about the same stuff. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we would both agree to have empathy in these individual spaces. But if this group is saying system and this group saying no system, then what are we reconciling? And I think we have to have real conversation about um, that part, recognizing what we're trying to reconcile before we can move forward. And I think we rush to reconciliation because um, and because we want to reconcile. And I think sometimes in our rush to it, we put on symbols. So let's do this. Let's have this racial reconciliation service. Yeah. And some black folks going to come, some white <laughs> folks going to come, yeah, yeah, yeah. we go high five, yeah, yeah, we go, yeah, yeah. you know, bam, yeah, yeah. reconcile. We done. But it don't work like that. And that's so what exactly are we reconciling? What's, what's that target? What's that target area? I, I think we have to revisit basics, man. Like, what are we talking about when we say racism? Mm-hmm. Like, let's parse through that. Because I think we... Surprisingly, I think we would actually disagree. A lot of people would disagree with what racism is and how they experience that's a, that, it. That's a, that's a fair point. Yeah. And we, we need to chop that up. Like, okay. what are we talking about when we talk about racism? Yeah. Because it's a broad term. Sure. It's, it's a very, very 30,000-foot view. But let's kind of get into the weeds of it. Okay. What does that look like? What is racism? Well, I guess to me, see, because just as Scott said, because you're going to have to define it from your perspective and yeah. define it, you know, individually. <clears throat> and to me, we talked about it before that racism systemically, because the individual racism, you know, each and every person isn't going to be uh, going to see racism the same way. So systemically, for me, racism is putting obstacles in place that's going to keep me from achieving the goals that I can achieve based on the fact that I don't look like you. I don't come from where you came from. So I'm from the systemic uh aspect of it. That's the way I look at it. I want those things to move because individually, I believe that we can have a conversation, me and a person from another race, and we can get past our differences if we just sit down and have a conversation and understand each other. But then when we go into our separate rooms and our separate circles with people that don't look like the person that I just talked to, now the decision makers, the gatekeepers need to come together and say, you know what, because of that conversation, now I can see that that the system is in place to uh, oppress or to hold back or to uh, 
uh, impede the person's progress based on their race. So okay. that's what it looks like to me. Okay. And Scott, where's, where's racism for you? So I would, and give me a, can I get a moment here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I try to think of it, obviously we all think of it from a biblical perspective, but practically first, and then I'll jump into that. Uh, I think a lot of folks like to make the distinction, and we should make the distinction between uh, prejudice, um, mm-hmm. discrimination, and racism. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so when, you, when a person is prejudiced, they may have um, stereotypes. Yeah, they may yeah. not be in community with other people, but they have these stereotypes and things they believe that are negative about a particular group, and they can be prejudiced towards mm-hmm. them based on those stereotypes, right? And then you have a person who discriminates who acts on that prejudice. Yeah. So I believe, yeah. for example, black people are something negative, whatever. And so I act on that belief. Yeah. That's discrimination. Racism takes prejudice and puts power behind it. Mm-hmm. Now when I have the authority to make laws, now when I have uh, the financial support to affect people, that's when, for me, uh, I think that's the broader uh, definition of racism, when it can affect a system. So from a biblical sp- uh, perspective, I would say, and we know this, right, Genesis chapter 1, we are made in the image of God, the Imago mm-hmm. Day. Mm-hmm. I think racism says, I don't buy that. I think the Bible says because we are made in the image, God has create, created us diverse. So God wants diversity in unity. Mm-hmm. We can be diverse and unified. That's God's way. I think racism says, nah, fam, mm-hmm. we ain't doing that. We're going to have antagonism and diversity. So um, I think it's a complete shift of plans. I think God's plan is like everybody, uh, you can look different. You can be from different places, different cultures, different skin colors. And I still want you to be unified because that's going to be a witness to the world. Whereas racism says, nah, some of y'all, I don't buy that. I'm better than um, you're Lord. You're less than the image of God. And it's a complete shift of plans. And so, again, the individual acts, can a person be racist? Yeah, I think they can uh, carry out in a way where they work through their prejudice and would support a system to disenfranchise and oppress a group. But bigger than that, I'd say it's an exchange of plans. It's God's way, diversity mm-hmm. and unity, and then racism, man's way, which says dis unity and antagonism to this type of diversity. So th- th- that's an excellent segue, Scott, because I think— that's why I, I, I truly believe in the core of my being, man, the conversations like this where you begin to start to break apart this big old thing that seems so big. But when yeah. you start breaking it down into manageable, uh, manageable pieces, it begins to be a whole lot more digestible. So for me, man, I'm looking at this racism debate and this racism kind of culture right now in two different forms. I'm looking at it from a 2020, 2021, 2010, all the way up. And then I'm looking at it from a 1950, 1960. Okay, so when I look at the conversation about racism in 1950, 1960, Malcolm X, Mega Evers, you know, uh, Martin Luther King, when they were talking about racism back in that day, they were talking about putting together specific plans and policies to bridge this gap. Mm. The conversation now is driven in 2020, at least from my vantage point, is that we're not not talking about specifics like that. We are talking about exacting revenge on those who we think have oppressed us. Mm. So the conversation is now not let's do X, Y, and Z, and let's not define prejudice, discrimination, and racism. Mm. Break those down into the categories that they need to break down, and then having fruitful conversations thereof, it is now talking about let's go get the people that we think are oppressing us. Mm. So the dialogue just kind of being thrown against the wall, but nothing sticks. And so now you got a whole bunch of mad people, but can't sit around and talk about the issues that will bridge the gaps that everybody know exist. Mm. 
So when I'm looking at this thing, I'm looking at it from two different vantage points. I would like to see productive conversation about how do we move forward on economic advancement, educational advancement, how do you close some of those gaps? And those are very specific conversations that we need to have. Mm -hmm. You being in the financial industry, you know how we can close some of those gaps Mm -hmm. in our community and less fortunate communities. Mm -hmm. We can do that. But when we start talking in the clouds, when there's no real solution at the end of our discussion, then it just continues to be a discussion upon discussion. But let me, uh, no, I'm sorry not to cut you off, but you know how we do. That's correct. Uh, so let me understand what you're saying. You're saying that it's not so much that uh, the people are, they have a specific agenda or they have specific uh, ideas about what needs to happen or what needs to take place as they did in the 50s and 60s. Now they're just kind of shotgunning, you know, I'm mad because I'm black and you treat me a certain way. But if you look at the system, <coughs> excuse me, prior to, 18, prior to 1950, when the Reformation happened, and in 1870, when there was, the, you know, the civil rights laws were in the books in 1870, and if they, they were in, on the books, and then they were taken away. So I think Frederick Douglass said that the black man was a slave, then he was freed, then he was forced back into slavery. So it doesn't start from 1950, it goes to 18, back to 1870. So when that system is in place to take away the, the rules and take away the rights that you have, what do you do about that? How, how, do, you, how do you say, I'm not angry okay, about so, that? So to that point, so we're talking about the system as a whole, yeah. okay, yes, right? Yes. Okay, let's go back to your example in the 1860s, 1870s, mm-hmm. when the system was in full effect. Mm-hmm. Everybody that had this particular skin tone mm-hmm. was affected by that system. Mm-hmm. The parents, the kids, the grandkids, everybody that had this kind of tone was affected by that system when it was in full force. To your first point, Scott, on an individual basis, if the system is designed to hold a certain people down, then that system that is holding that person down or that people group down, everybody in that people group is affected by that system. You don't have that case right now. You have a lot of black people that are not affected by that particular system. So to your point, Scott, about individualism on the side of somebody saying, I've experienced it at a very individual basis, so I can be empathetic and sympathetic to it, that's a discussion that we need to have. But to broad stroke it in that same view by saying that in 1870 this was like that and the system is still doing the exact same way in 2020. No, the system is actually worse now because in 1870 Mississippi, uh, Alabama, and Florida had had black senators that they sent to the the that they sent to Washington, D.C. and black congressmen. So there were a lot of black men in Congress and in the Senate in 1870. So really, we were in a better situation where we had votes and we had a voice in Washington more so than we have now. I understand what you're saying, that, yeah, we have voice a voice in Washington now, but at that time, they were uh, it was legislated that black folks could be equal just on the legislative level that you had to give them an opportunity. So now we had the legislation from 1965. See, so I think we're talking about two different things because we had the legislation from 1965, but then they found ways to to take away some of the rights or not give some of the rights. But the racism that we're talking about, the system that we're talking about economically, uh, socioeconomically and educationally, that system is still in place. Okay. Yeah. And and I think so, you know, with this conversation, I think if after the Civil War, Mm -hmm. black folks are repaired, right, with this idea of land and whatever, if they receive that, because what actually happened is the the slave owner got taken care of. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Slavery is in place. Okay, now you're free. Slave owner, here's some stuff. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. But if black people would have been repaired, we wouldn't even be having some of these conversations because, and you've been in, in, in finance too, one of the benefits of having wealth early is time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you go back to the systems and structures that are in place, if, let, let me do it like this. I was born in 1980. My mother was born in 1945. My grandmother was born in the 1920s. That's three generations. Mm-hmm. If grandmother would have had access, now grandma had a little stuff, but grandma, I'll tell you the story, if she would have had access to the mm-hmm. wealth that other folks had access into 1929, 1920s, it would have affected my mother. Because mm-hmm. mama would have had some stuff. In a ripple right? effect. And then I would walk into some stuff, but that's not the case. So how it shows up today is that Lawrence Scott, born in 1980, has to do a work to build some generational wealth that was handed to other folks by the government. You see what I'm saying? So the government participated in the advancement of particular people and participated in the demise of another group. So when we sit here at this table in 2021, um, when you walk down the street, do you experience the same racism that a person in 1960 experienced? I don't know. Depend on where you are. But the system that helped perpetuate the gap in generational wealth is still in place. Because at the end of the day, I didn't have the time to obtain that wealth that I could walk in today. And because the black people have never been repaired, so they talk reparation. I don't even know what that looks like. No. But because we've never been re- uh, repaired, like, for example, with Germany and Jews, they were repaired. That's why they're in the position they're in. We continue to have this conversation because there's a difficulty here in this country, uh, specifically, to not only acknowledge some stuff, but be realistic about what it looks like to work through it. And so when you say, for example, in a previous system, everybody experienced it. And in this system, not everybody experiences. That's why we have to move it from just the individual act and recognize that it is a structural thing. Now, if you're black and you don't need uh, and you and you have so much wealth or you're in a position where you don't have to ask for anything, you might say that person is in a position where they don't experience racism because the powers that be can't affect them because they live outside of it. I would argue um, that there's an experience they can have even with that wealth that would suggest that racism is real to them. And I think that's why you see even celebrity folk who otherwise could just be about their own business, um, lend their voice to this, even though they appear to be in a position where they wouldn't feel any of it. Because that's individual as opposed to systemic. Right. Okay, so when you're talking about the system, yeah. and we're talking about the financial system, Facts. so when you're going from generation to generation, and we do know if you're a student of history, you understand how certain people got, in your words, repaired, yeah. right? And then how that affected generations moving forward. Mm. And so that this generation in 2020 is better off because great-great-grandma way back when started off with something, and then it just kind of passed down through the family line. And continually, mm-hmm. uh, every line after that received help that uh, black people didn't. So it's not just that wealth from then, but, you know, if I can't build a house in this community or I can't get a loan in this community 50 years ago, well, there's 50 years ago uh, worth of wealth that I did not have a chance to receive that affects me today. But yeah, go ahead. Okay, so in that same vein, so where does the process of, okay, that's what it is. So when do we, as black folk, um, individual and as a whole, when do we, or do we have the power, let me put it like that, to change that paradigm? Do we have the ability as black folks in 2021 and beyond to begin to affect that particular paradigm to where our generations and future generations thereof are affected because of what we do right now? Oh, so let me say this. Um, A conversation about racism never um, means that black people or people who are in the quote unquote oppressed group historically um, are unable to 
right? First of all, we are people of faith. Like God yeah. mm-hmm. has yeah. been with, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Not mm-hmm. just black folks, but it is evident the Lord is with us. So this is never a conversation about inability. It's the, just the reality of the situation. I think people, even in previous generations, like there'll be some black folks who sit at this table and said, no, my great grandfather had 50 acres, had 100 acres and had tw- 30 businesses. Mm-hmm. So there's always been opportunity for that. And we can perpetuate that positivity. And I would also suggest that this conversation um, is not an ex- So when we talk racism, it's not an excuse or a scapegoat for failure. Yeah. OK. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you can yeah. acknowledge the reality of your situation and still go get it. Go get your education. Go get your your career. Go start your business. Go go educate yourself. Put your kids in all that. And I believe we at this table have tried mm-hmm. to model that. So it's not an excuse. Yes, we, to answer your question, long way to answer it. Yes, because at the end of the day, go back to Genesis one. We're creating the image of God. Yeah, yeah. God got yeah. this. Mm-hmm. We have some things we work through, but yes, we can change. Okay. It. And 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 I think that what what's happened, especially. With us, first of all, you know, we talked about it. Black folks, when you see one uh, one black guy doing something wrong, everybody black's done something wrong. So mm-hmm. we, we take that the pain and we take the the, the shortcomings of, of all of our people on our back, even though and, and we took some of the successes of our people on our back as well. But when you, you look at that, our responsibility or, or can we get past it? Yes, but we've got to start to realize and the people on the other side have got to realize that we we, we can press on and can make it through. I, I don't want to be like the, the total antagonist, but I guess that's my role here today. But <laughs> we when the, the system is set up, when it has been set up from the very beginning, back to what I was saying, as we were going because we're going back to when, when the slaves were free. Mm-hmm. When there was opportunity for blacks, it was taken away Facts. because we didn't want to see blacks succeed and whites not succeed. Mm-hmm. So that's all those years of of that oppression, all those years of of uh, post traumatic stress that we have as a group, if you will, if mm-hmm. you because. After a while, you start believing I can't because somebody is constantly telling you that you can't. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not built that way. When you tell me that I can't. I, that's going to make me press a little bit harder to see that I can or see if I can. And it's obvious that black folks did. It. That's why black folks got lynched. Mm. That's why Medgar Evers died. That's why uh, Frederick Douglass kept on fighting. So do we uh, say that black folks are sitting to the point, black folks are at the point where they just say, uh, well, you know what? I can't. So therefore, I'm going to give up. No, I don't think so. So to that point, I don't think that anybody outside of this conversation or even closely remote, uh, related to it is going to acknowledge or not acknowledge the fact that America has not always lived up to that 1776 document, mm-hmm. that Constitution, mm-hmm. that Bill of Rights. It was not equal rights for all people. I get that. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody that is genuine will sit there and say that America has always been like that. So we acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. Okay. The facts are the facts. I mean, all you got to do is just simply do a simple search through history and everything that you're talking about, you can be clearly found. What I am saying in regards to the race, uh, the race conversation is that while we acknowledge those certain things Mm -hmm. and while those certain things are true, that there are people in our culture that risk their lives, got their lives taken away from them in order to try to bridge this gap. Mm -hmm. People got killed, like literally bullets through their head. The, The people got killed on this particular battlefield. But the idea, the idea that those systems that are once in place then, and Scott, you said something Mm -hmm. when we had a curb moment um, a few months ago, that the system allows successes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you said that the system, in order for the system to be the system, it's got to allow for certain successes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things that I want to talk about, because if the system is the system and the system is protecting itself, mm-hmm. then it cannot allow for successes. See, why does it because, have to be? Because the, the system is protecting itself. But why does it have to be all or nothing? See, and that's the, the, the issue is that we look at it. We want it to be all or nothing. No, it's I'm saying that the system white. I'm saying that the system is dismantling. That's why it's allowing for successes. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the system is completely gone. Anybody can look around the landscape of America and say, that's not right. I know that I know why that happened. Everybody can look at that. What I'm simply saying is that the system is folding on itself slowly, mm-hmm. but it is mm-hmm. folding on itself because it is allowing not only successes from black people, but from minorities from every walk of life. So the system is folding in on itself slowly but surely. Now, will it be to the point to where our kids, our great-grandkids are able to experience a much better day than we? I believe that that's coming. But is that what we experienced on January 6th? Fear that the system is folding? See, so now we move ahead to, to today. T- but see, you're talking about on the side. I'm talking about for black America. So, so, so let me say this. And, and you're right in that. I, th- I think, uh, okay. So... Sometimes the conversation goes, hey, is it as bad? This, we, may, we may not say this, but this is kind of where it lends itself. Are things as bad today as it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Nothing is, is it? Right, right. But I will say that over the years, racism has learned to become more hidden. Okay, right? So adapted. It was, right, it adapted. So it, it wasn't as overt. It's covert. It's part of the system. So, yeah, the system has always allowed for successes. Even back in, you know, early 1800s, I'm sure there were some black folks who had a position over other black folks, you know, because the, the owner felt a certain kind of way about that person or whatever. So there's always been places for success. Um, but we still have to acknowledge that a lot of what happens you know, to black folks or that that has happened to black folks is because of the system. For example, and I, I will be transparent and honest at this point, my posture normally, if I hear a statistic about black folks that's way higher than other folks, my first thought is to say the system helped create that because mm-hmm. my posture is that black folks are not more immoral, mm-hmm. less educated, well, when they have the opportunity mm-hmm. than any other people. So if they have a... a, a a, f- a stat that's negative, that's higher than other groups. I'm saying it's because of the system. That's the my system has created. System, it. And, then I, and then I open it up and look at the details, and then I arrive at my conclusion. Right. So that's kind of what I'm saying. If you pull out stats and you see it's high for black folks, unless you believe black folks are just inferior. Yeah. Yeah. You well, that's to, to your point, though. That's, right. that, that's to your racism point. So right. some a people group will say that group. I don't care what what we're looking at is inferior to another. group. Yes. Okay, so that's the point. I get that part. And Scott, I get that. I I completely acknowledge that. But when we're looking at the system in regards to positions of power that can affect everybody under the system, Mm -hmm. the system is now allowing people like us in those positions of power Mm -hmm. that can affect everybody under the system. But you got to acknowledge, though, that a person and a system can't change it that quickly. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I agree. But yeah, so black people... See, that's what I'm saying. It's, It's... I'm not saying it's an overnight thing. Gotcha. And I always got to preface this anytime I'm talking about race because people look at me crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm just, you know, a pie this, in the sky. This Republican. Like, like uh, this just crazy. <laughs> you know, I, I believe, I believe, but me and Scott had an off-camera conversation about mm-hmm. a year ago. Yeah. 
Um, you know, people reason from their reality. Mm-hmm. Okay, you, you got some truth, and then you mix some experience in, and that's what people reason from. I am by no way, straight uh, shape or form, saying that racism is eradicated. Mm-hmm. Come on, y'all, that's crazy. But I do believe that the system, that system, mm-hmm. is imploding in itself. See, you want to remove the excuse because the because you because of your the way you were raised. Like you said, we we are a sum of our experiences. Right. Everything that is us at, to this day was experiences that we had prior to this day. So as we've talked before, because you've overcome so much, you said your mom would never let you have an excuse, ever have an excuse. So because of the way that you're put together, you're automatically looking for ways to remove the excuse and find out how to press through. Mm-hmm. Everybody doesn't have that. Everyone doesn't have that. Like I just said, because of, you know, the way that I was raised, if you show me, you say I can't, that means I'm going to try a little bit harder. The same thing as Scott, as he was raised, going through all the things that he went through. It's like, man, that's just another obstacle. And what does that mean? There's a way over it, under it, around it, or through it. But these brothers here, you got story. Yep. And I'm not saying about, uh, no. again, it's not talking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, can I get it? <laughs> you know, because I feel like. <laughs> yeah, that's how it is. Yeah. You know, you knew when you brought this together. Yeah, I, did, I, I knew that. This is the text message that goes <laughs> all the time. Yours is red, and we like, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean. Come on. Go ahead. Well, well I was, was going to say this. So I, I think we have to be fair. And I think this is where I, I tend to lean, right? Because I'm not for people making excuses either. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and let me just say before you go, neither am I. Yeah, right. I know that. I know that. that. Don't right. happen in Y'all my house. Y'all couldn't be encouraged. No. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> okay. I am also aware that for a lot of folks, they may not have the same defining moment that, that caused that change. Like for you, you may have had a moment, and I know we've talked, mm-hmm. but you may have had a moment specifically where your mom made a decision that ultimately saved your life. Mm-hmm. Do you have those moments? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a person down the street from you who mom didn't do that, mm-hmm. right? So you got to, like you, if you were raised in, the, in an environment, I was raised in the hood, like when you. I when wasn't. You, right, but when you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to put that in the street. That's, that's a comic yeah, yeah. relief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you know, like this, it's not as simple as saying waking up in the hood one day and say, you know what? Um, tomorrow I'm not gonna be in the hood. Nah, mm. you you probably gonna be there, right? Mm. But when you get older, like I spent most of my childhood in poverty, but when I got older, I made some decisions to do mm-hmm. something different. Mm-hmm. But imagine a kid right now being raised in an environment, five years old. Everybody around him sell dope. Sell dope. That's a reality in this world. Mm-hmm. Every person he looks up to is pulling him to that game. Now, there's another five-year-old who's in some remote suburb who doesn't have to experience that. Now, you can't tell me that this guy, this five-year-old, won't have a more challenging time arriving. It's not simply because, uh, I mean, it's in part because of the people around him, but the system has allowed people, and um, black folks uh, specifically, to be more in poverty than other folks. Not an excuse. Like, the, those guys who are leading that five-year-old, they're doing the wrong thing. But we also got to acknowledge, Scott, that the system also incentivizes. Oh, absolutely. Mm, incentivizes absolutely. people staying, staying in that there. position. Oh, no doubt. Just, right? No doubt. And so while he has a different reality than the guy in River Oaks because he lives in Fifth Ward, yep. uh, the system is going to say, I know this personally. Yep. Mm-hmm. We could have got a whole lot more money in WIC when me and my wife was going through in 2003 yep. if I'd have just simply said that she wasn't married. Right. Mm-hmm. We'd have got double what we what we eventually got. Right. Just not married her. Right. And just said, hey, just yeah. just check yeah. the box, not married. Thanks. And that's what the lady told me at the at the window. Right. She said, wow. y'all can get double this right. if you just say you're not married. Right. And and if you would have did that, you can't blame anybody for pursuing 
that trifling, I would say, <laughs> pathway. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. You can you can say, hey, I didn't do that, by the way. <laughs> I got my wife as a witness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, those I, are the personal decisions we have to make. So it's two things: there's personal accountability mm-hmm. and responsibility, and acknowledgement <laughs> that for some folks they are in a situation that's just harder for them to get out. So of. that's the pro- so so fellas. Okay, l- let's marry that personal yep. responsibility acknowledging. The, the the point that I'm saying is that. While we acknowledge, there's a lot of conversation mm-hmm. about acknowledging. Then what's responsibility? What's the responsibility? There's a lot of conversation, and we need to have that. We need to we need to directly point to these particular issues. There's a lot of conversation about the acknowledgement. Okay, but there's not equally an amount of uh, conversation about the personal responsibility so on both would, sides. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I would say there's a lot of conversation on personal responsibility, and I would also say this. I would, I would say this, and we maybe maybe I should have said this earlier. Um, I, I tend to have this conversation, I think we all do, in three ways. Well, considering three things. Mm-hmm. That when we talk about race, we need to be um, biblical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to First. be historic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we yeah. need to be factual. Yeah. So um, when you talk about, there's a lot of conversation about acknowledgement. Today, um, studies would show how systemic racism shows up in the medical field, mm-hmm. how systemic racism shows up in finance, how it shows up in home ownership, in every area. Mm-hmm. Now, as with this church, I pastor a church with a lot of people who are in different pro- uh, professions. They would tell you about their per- successful folks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. will tell you about their success and how they wrestle with racism, how racism affects their ability to move around in their departments, how it affects how many contracts they get. So all those things, when we talk about the conversation that acknowledges, we can't just say, hey, it's there and then not do all your work, we have to acknowledge it and recognize that because it is there, it still helps, it still affects how people move. And at the same time, that professional can't say, well, because you don't want to give me the contract, I'm just going to quit the job. And yeah, so, yeah, right? so yeah, yeah. I think there is conversation. In fact, most of the conversation I think happens with empowerment and um, next steps. I know you do some of that here, but I see a lot of that conversation. So when you say it's more acknowledgement, but not enough about, I guess, you know, how we overcome some of this stuff, I see a lot of that conversation happening. So go ahead, Lee. I know you, I, I know the, no. <laughs> go ahead. He's boiling over here. I can, no, I can no. feel him in my ear. Because, well, because <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting ready to shift. I was going, I was getting ready to switch teams because of what Scott just said. Because, uh, you know, if, if just because of the way I was put together, you know what I mean? If just because there's an obstacle, I'm still going to break, break right. through. But <clears throat> what I was saying is a lot of times, what, what, and, and, and even what we're doing here, this conversation between three black men, that have our experiences with racism and, and, and the questions that, that are being asked. But as I said before and when we talked before, these conversations need to leave this context. And, and, and like Scott said, you know, biblical, historical, we, those are the, the, the ways that we look at this. But it needs to leave this context because we can sit here all day long and talk about how bad it is for us. But until we go out and talk to some folks that don't look like us, till we go out and talk to some folks that that have uh, the opportunities and they have the, the, the keys or the doorway to opportunity. Should we go out and talk to them? All we doing, man, is just sitting here. But that's the point of a platform like this. Yeah, okay. Because a lot of people are not going to come into church and say to somebody behind a, 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 a pulpit and, and... But we need somebody at this table. We need a fourth dude at this table. Well, the, what I'm but the way that the conversation well, is sparked in, is in regards to this, right? Opening up an open platform and having... And again, what this particular thing is and, and curb that is important for me as curb, these guys, I've shared in my own personal testimony, you know, you got to have authentic relationships that are able to absorb disagreement, mm-hmm. right? And, and and you may not agree on the same things from the same vantage point, but you value the other's opinion and you're able to glean from conversations. 
That's what I think is missing right now in this public discourse about racism. It's because one side is trying to prove to the other side, and the other side is trying to prove to the other side, and neither side are listening. And so when you have conversations like this, maybe, yeah, we need a fourth person at the table that can that we can talk to in that, that particular arena. But I do believe that this offers a valuable viewpoint of people seeing black folks, black men in particular, mm-hmm. sit around and talk about something articulately, not cussing people out. Don't say articulate. You know how I feel oh, about yeah, that. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> a certain kind of way when I say black men and being articulate. As if we can, I get that. We're My the bad. only ones let that are articulate. Re, let me rewind that. Let me rewind that. Let me rewind it. Take articulate out. Yeah. But these kind so of conversations are valuable. Yeah. So I would say this, just to give uh, the audience um, perspective. I have this conversation with white pastors all the time. Mm-hmm. All the time. I would say in the last year, my ratio of black to white, you know, Four white, one black. This is the conversation that we've been having. And I would say in love that a lot of our, my brothers, our brothers um, who don't live in this space um, are just not informed. Mm-hmm. And, and so that goes back to the initial conversation. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I talked to one pastor for four hours. We sat together for four hours. And at the end of the conversation, and again, I tried to be biblical, historic, and factual. At the end of the conversation, I realized, and again, this is just anecdotal. It's not everybody. It's not everybody. For three times. It's not everybody. It's okay. <laughs> but I realized that his his bias and his what he had been taught was so embedded that he was unwilling to change it. Mm. And I know any person can experience this, but this is what happens. We we believe what we believe and we come to ke- come to the table to have this conversation, but we both think we're right and so nobody wants to move. Exactly. Yeah. And mm. and so it be, it becomes a very difficult conversation and I find that uh, for me personally, when I experience racism, it's not like I'm talking about much of it outside of the church. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about church folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I move around in, in, in predominantly white spaces all the time. And again, there are a lot of white folks who love Jesus, who are not racist. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to be a racist person for us to exist in a racist system. Yeah. yeah. It, it's a very difficult conversation to yeah. have. And that's why when you talk about the fourth person. Sometimes I think their posture is, well, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to yeah, come exactly. up. So they, they take it all in. They never <laughs> yeah. express. Yeah. And then when they finally do express, you're like, bro, you believe yeah. that? Yeah. So yeah. Just, right. But you're yeah. right. It, it needs to be more of that mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Let me let me just, just jump in here, too, with that. Because as we're going, I want to kind of shift it. Because I'm sitting here thinking as the, the, the elder statesman, of yeah. group, right? Yes. Like, not as yeah, smart. you are the oldest one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by far when I'm in this room. But as the elder statesman, because we're it seems as though we're shaping or framing this this discussion or argument from the victim standpoint. And, and and that's not where we want to be. You know, we don't want to be seen as the victim because as Scott was just saying that that he talks to these folk and from their uh upbringing and from their experiences this is kind of where they are and this is what it is and they see us as the victim. But how many of us have been told what we can't do and and we need to just keep our keep our eyes down or keep your head down don't say that don't make too many waves from our folk that keep us from want to press through and push through because as you were saying that you have some professional folk that experience racism mm-hmm. so when we experience this racism do we just kind of you blow it off or, or do we kind of just say well because this is what always happens I'm not going to not going to push back are we going to keep coming from a victim standpoint because that's where most of our conversation as African Americans come from comes from as the victim yes you want to educate some of your Anglo friends yes I have a a guy that I talked to this week and he just says you know what can I do what can I do how can I help and I want to have a real conversation with him go ahead and by the way a lot of Anglo friends who love Jesus who are Pressing this issue well, yeah, right, yeah. Um, 
But, you know, that conversation about victim is an interesting one because I think um, in this dialogue, if we if we say victim, then are we also saying victor? Are we saying there's a winner and then there's the... Like, to open up that idea of it's coming from a victim perspective. What do you mean by that? When, when we, we sit and look at uh, where we are, mm-hmm. see now, as you can see, Pastor Holman, yeah, he just sat back. He's like, yeah. he's like, ahead, Lee. Lee, Lee got go this one. <laughs> <laughs> Take it, Lee. Yeah. Because as we we look at this thing from our perspective, you know, we're always saying what hasn't happened or what hasn't been given or yeah. what hasn't been done yeah. from the the system's standpoint. But what about what hasn't been done and what hasn't happened from our standpoint? I know for a fact yeah. that uh, my grandmother yeah. would say, I would use those black folks, but you can't trust them. Mm-hmm. And she's just as black as me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, 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 but when that stuff is put in you, okay. then you start to, we were just laughing, making a mess with Holman, yep. you start self-loathing. Yep. And then you automatically start thinking, well, you know, I don't know if I want to because that's how we were, were taught and that's how we were treated. Mm-hmm. So now as we look at how the system works, and I'm angry because black people doesn't have, don't have these opportunities. And Pastor Holman, looking at the number of people that are, or the, the ages of the people that were in the streets mm-hmm. uh, protesting, man, they ain't been through nothing like our grandmothers have been through. Mm-hmm. So where does I understand where the anger comes from because they want opportunity. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of us are saying, well, you know what, man, if they would just get out of my way or if they would just stop treating me this way, I could be better. So where's the balance at, Lee? I because don't know. That, 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 that is, in a, Lord, uh, that's going to be a catchphrase. And again, it's there. The giant is in the room. The giant is in the room. Mm-hmm. I get we. Absolutely get it. Everybody, it's out there. But I believe that the greatest revenge is success. And I believe that this generation coming up now, this generation that has been born post-Jim Crow, this generation that is seeing the diversity on all different levels from all different walks of life, it's just kind of what it is now. We all got kids. Like, our kids... They know they got friends, close friends that are in the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Like it's just something normal to them. Like you mm-hmm. see women in high po- uh, potential positions. This stuff is just normal. The diversity of today is normal with this generation. And so the system that has at one point in time was viciously, viciously oppressing a particular group of people. We all can acknowledge that that system is slowly being dismantled. And my vantage point is this. I have, and it's not an exclusive or an individual thing, but the people that I know from A to Z, name whatever struggle you want from A to Z. I know people that overcame that. So here's my thing. Mm -hmm. Why not push forth the narrative that, yeah, man, there's some stuff out there. Life is going to slap the hell out of you. You're going to encounter some people that are not going to want to make you go forward. But if I can share you and if I got Pastor Lee and both of you guys got tremendous testimonies. You're a freaking doctor now. PhD, Dr. Lawrence Scott Jr. And so I'm not individualizing Lawrence Scott, Mm -hmm. but I'm saying Lawrence Scott was way over here and had every reason, and nobody would have blamed you for checking out. Mm -hmm. Nobody would have blamed Holman for checking out. Pastor Lee of Philadelphia, nobody would have blamed him for checking out. But you had a certain uh, responsibilities and decisions that you made that made your life progressively better, and that's going to affect every generation of Scott from this time forward. No, that's fair. I, I, but I, I think, so let me add to that. I also had some uncles who came and got me, mm-hmm. right? I had a mother and a grandmother who could pray, right? And so mm-hmm. Lawrence Scott didn't get Lawrence Scott out of the situation. Lawrence's community, God 
mm-hmm. launched this yeah, community yeah, got launched. Yeah. And so, but and, and I did make some good decisions with that. Um, but I, I think the problem with this conversation at times is it becomes a conversation about. Um, it's almost like if you talk about racism, then you're you're complaining about hmm. not advancing or not being successful, and we kind of frame it like the conversation about racism is a black poor conversation. That's, so it's about yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yes, and, yes. and I'm to your point. I live in the suburbs, man. Got, you know, we got a, a decent house. I got a couple degrees. Mm-hmm. I passed a church with a lot of folks who are just like me. Um, my my my. I do I got a couple jobs. So I make a decent income. Mm-hmm. So. For me to have this conversation and to be adamant about it, to, to frame it as, why are you making excuses? Why you No, I'm just saying as a Bible-believing Christian, yeah, yeah. I have a responsibility to call out injustice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I, and I know that's, that's, that's a, there's that's, a portion of yes. people who wake up with that, yeah. you know, a certain kind of way. But I think most people, reasonable folks— are saying, no, we have a responsibility to call out injustice. That's it. And but I see, a- the, the people like you, Scott, are the ones that need to be, the, the, that's not, that's, you're, this conversation is not on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Hmm. It's the folks, we've been Why? unjustly. Why are you yelling? Man, that was heavy. Yeah, that was heavy. Yelling. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. So I'm not, <laughs> there is a balance. Yeah. And again, we have to address those particular issues as Bible believing Christians. We have to call out injustice yeah. everywhere we see it. Yeah. Absolutely par for the course. But in that same vein, as we call it out, Let's additionally say, as you said, let's additionally say this is what it is. This is how we can get past this. Let's put together some grassroots solutions financially, educationally, wherever that may be, redlining, whatever the conversation may be about how we move past that. Because what's going to affect this changing is you doing something about it. So, so, man, you hit it. And I want to be clear on something. No shame on black poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This ain't no, yeah, yeah. Like, come on. Nah, nah. Yeah, yeah. they ain't like, no, 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 ain't no, nobody no. around here millionaires. No, 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 no. And just the fact, Genesis 1, mm-hmm. we all got dignity. But mm-hmm. I think the the issue is that, um, to your point, we do need to have other folks at the table, I suppose, yes. having this conversation. Yes. But take the national narrative, like, for example, and this is not political, but it kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> um, often when the conversation about black needs come up in the public discourse, and I'm going to talk about the, the previous president because he was just, the way he said it really mm-hmm. just ticked me off. <laughs> um, but it was often, you know, what, what about blacks? You know, the first thing you run to is um, the job numbers, which is important. Mm-hmm. Which is important. Mm-hmm. Three times is important. <laughs> but but more than a few months of increase in job, make sure that there's a public public discourse of dignity, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. oftentimes when he would talk about black people, you might as well take out black and put poor. Yeah. Because everything he had to say about black people really was a positive. It was interchangeable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, that's, what his, that's his perspective. That's, but see, that's what I'm saying. When you drive that publicly, mm-hmm. then that becomes the issue. I'm, listen, I had a guy... True story, anecdotal, but it's true. White guy come to my house, came in with his Bible. He came now. He came to fix the AC. Mm-hmm. Christian came in with his Bible. Jesus is on the main line. I mean, he's singing songs <laughs> in my house. Uh-huh. He says to me, uh, "You know, I just want you know, and I'm praying for your people. I'm praying for your people, like bro." And, and I talked to the Lord, <laughs> cover me, trying to be saved in these streets. And he basically said everything. 
um, lending itself to this perspective that uh, black folks basically have an extra type of demon or something. Like, y'all, y'all, you know what I mean? And, and I listened. And before I got on them, I listened to them. Before I had to get them, get them right, I listened to them. And just the perspective. Now, he's an employer, right? He, he has a staff. That's going to affect who he, how he hires folks. Right. Mm-hmm. And people in position have perspectives. When we draw the narrative that, you know, black can be exchanged for just poor, poor and, and welfare. Going back to the 60s, this picture of black people being the recipient of welfare is when we know mm-hmm. the main recipient of welfare yeah, yeah, is not yeah. black folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never has been. Yeah, yeah that's right. Never Even has today. Been. Even, Even today. today. Yeah. So the narrative publicly is always this negative thing. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about there need, need to be more voices at the table, there are voices at the table, but people want to drive them to a particular place to be a certain type of, you know, person. But see, so when when we had this conversation, my point is that guy, whoever he was, is working for a black man. No, I'm with it. But but when when he's getting his check from a black man. But when he hires, yeah, yeah, when he hires his team, he's going to say, I ain't going to hire that black dude because they kind of. They got an extra demon. Got an extra demon. (laughs) Got a black demon. (laughs) And again, by the way, any employer can have a prejudice in affected decisions. I'm just saying historically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, That's like like going back to, you know, civil war. After slavery, okay, after a group of people fought for it to keep slavery. Yeah. After they lose, Mm -hmm. they get public office. Mm -hmm. So you don't think they're going to take their same set to public? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so. Really and so, Scott, to, to your point, man, we got people that are 80. Like, th- there is a, a age requirement yep. to run for president, 35 years old. Mm-hmm. There should be an age limit. My Lord. There should be nobody running for president. No, then that's, that's age no, 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 discrimination. No, 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 no. <laughs> you have people Age-ism. in office. Ageism. That is <laughs> 70 got plus. That. Got it. That grew up. Yes, sir. In the Jim Crow era. Yes, sir. Grew up under the Jim Crow era. They are taking that mentality yep. into whatever position of power that they have been elected in. Yeah. So if you are born pre-Jim Crow, you shouldn't be able to run for office. That needs to be put on the books by somebody. He don't mean that. No, not at <laughs> all. Hey, yeah, let's, let's just say, <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's not discriminating at all. It's just he's but been overtaken. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. so so Lee, go ahead. I don't even know where I'm going after that. <laughs> yeah, after that I took ages. it back and brought you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. At the, <laughs> so we were we were talking about the, the victim and and, and yes, yes, that, yes, that yes. makes uh, it makes sense. I, I just want to make sure yeah, yeah. that we don't allow that victim mentality. Yeah, and, and it's not just it's not just us because now you're looking at and when I say us as black folks, yeah. every group mm-hmm. is is calling themselves a victim that the system has and the government has has held them down but in this context we're going to continue to have the conversations you know with the folks and try to change their perspective or let them see it from our perspective but we also have got to see it too from from their perspective because they're a victim of that exact same system Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. most of the folks are uh, working class folk just like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the narrative yeah. that is created was that they're taking your job. Yeah, yes, exactly. And they're taking your land. Yeah, yes, exactly. They're taking your rights. Mm-hmm. And it's the same exact narrative that was preached during the Reformation. It's being preached now. Mm-hmm. We've got to come together and realize that we are the, the same, the Imago Dei. We have been created in the image of God and we do need to call out mm-hmm. All of the injustices, but we got to tell folks that there is that the injustice is that they're telling you that I'm against you and telling me that you're against me when we're all and we're created in God's image. The same. That's a good yeah. word. That's yeah. a good word. Yeah. And so how do we? How do we? Uh, man, time has really gotten by. Um, 
Man, it's your show. You go <laughs> <don't> on. <laughs> so when you're talking about made in the, in the victimhood and things yeah. of that nature, yeah. um, nobody, at least not from my perspective in the conversations that I'm having, because I'm trying to broaden this conversation to different vantage points in the areas in which God has allowed me to serve in. You know, I serve on boards um, with, I'm not going to say predominantly, all white. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I'm the only black guy in there. The fly in the ointment. Yeah, 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 right? In right. The so I'm, I'm the pepper on top of the, the rice, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I'm trying to drive these conversations like an organization that I'm with right now that does a lot of work in predominantly African communities, as I told them, it's easier for you to travel 10,000 miles to Africa than it is for you to go 15 miles down 610, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a safe space for, for this particular organization. It's a safe space for them to go to Africa um, as missionaries because they're held as the saviors. But, but okay, but see, see, you think this is a whole other show, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because in the church, for, no, to your point, that's the, in, in church, in churches, uh, Houston, when you have predominantly white churches, for example, in this community, mm-hmm. and, and in five miles this way, you have a, a community that's suffering, and they don't invest heavily there. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Mm-hmm. Like, it's historic. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so important that we understand that what's happening today is connected to history. Even mm-hmm. as things are change, changing, it's connected to history. Like, a lot of times, there's this idea that the reason black folks are in the situation they're in is solely today because of their own doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why would I put money and resources in that community when you're just going to waste it? But they ain't trying. They yeah. ain't trying. Yeah, and so yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, and again, listen, I'm not saying every church <laughs> is like that. I'm saying I'm not speaking, um, I'm speaking from experience. I live in this space. Yeah. And so what I found often is that very thing. They may put a couple dollars here and there, but over here, why, why would I give to y'all when I could give it and be really impactful yeah, yeah, uh, overseas? Yeah, and so yeah. that type of mindset still exists. So things are changing. But that still shows up. And so that's the slow grind of where we are, because that is something in, in our circles as pastors that we, um, you know, I, as you said before, Scott, our Christian brothers on the other side, our Anglo Christian brothers and sisters, they love Jesus. Yes. I think some of them, I'm not going to say all of them, I think some of them are just implicit to some of those things that they just don't know because they have grown up in that as we all have a personal experience to connect to whatever viewpoint that we may have. So how do we, at the end of the day, man, you you know, we're we're pushing up on this. We didn't even get to the religion side. Mm. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to look at your calendar because we spent this time talking about race. Um, There's so much more that I want to get into. Yeah, man. Uh, I ain't even over no scripture, man. Yeah, we. Um, Micah. (laughs) Just call out some scripture, man. (laughs) Shoot. Well, we talked about Genesis 1-1. That's foundational. That's foundational. But I hope in Jesus' name, man, that the conversation can be pushed forth in these kind of regards. Because I think that we need to take it out of the clouds and bring it down to a grassroots level. I agree. Um, Because it's a a highly uh, divisive uh, conversation, if you will. People automatically get on edge. Mm -hmm. You know, one group thinks that they're... Attacking the other one, and the other one feels because I'm attacked, I got to be on the defense. Yeah. So each side can never glean from one another's arguments. Yeah. So I do believe that it's a public discourse that needs to be addressed in a very holistic way. Mm-hmm. So let me give you guys some closing comments on whatever you want to uh, talk about. So let me say this. I think in this conversation, it's a good conversation, and it does go on. And when we talk in general terms, the white church, the predominantly white, we recognize that that doesn't apply to every church and every yeah, individual. Yeah. And so for those who are watching, um, just understand that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah And um, yeah. this conversation needs to continue. And uh, but it needs to be biblical, historical, factual. And I think we can move the ball down. the field. And then we need to talk about specific ways of bridging the chasm that exists educationally, uh, economically, 
um, social, economic, whatever, whatever moniker you want to put up there. There are specific things that we could be doing in this regard Mm -hmm. to help bridge, not close it completely, Mm because, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Mm -hmm. I think we can begin to bridge this gap over some years and even, unfortunately, not unfortunately, uh, over some generations as well. Because the decisions that I'm making here in 2020, I'm praying will affect my kids, which will ultimately affect their kids and their kids and their kids. And so five generations down the road, that generation has some money that their great, great, great grandfather and grandmother put aside Mm -hmm. so that they get that same economic opportunity. Hmm. So Pastor Lee. I I believe that we have to continue to... uh handle and have the conversations on the individual level to put those building blocks in place so that the foundation can be firm. Yeah, we can have the the broad conversations about the, you know, the 30,000 foot view, mm-hmm. but just as you said, the grassroots starts at the roots. Yeah. So we need to continue to have relationships with people that don't look like us, but say they think like us. We're talking yeah, about Christians. Yeah, all yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we build those relationships. Yeah, yeah. And as we build those relationships, yeah, yeah. then we can build that foundation. And then that's where, where it starts. So you start to see people for who they are, start to look at people not as a color or uh, as a uh, different political uh, side of the aisle. You look at those people for, for who God says they are. You can start to, as Scott said, move the, move the needle. I say look at people in that color, by the way. <laughs> so I want to disagree with you before we close. Thank okay. you. <laughs> <laughs> I did disagree with everybody yeah, today. Yeah, with the, I, I, I covered the room. I, just, just, yeah, just, I just, had just. never disagreed with Scott until he was talking yeah. about them folk that uh, had money and <laughs> jobs and they get great. Man, if you don't get out of here, I got food stamps over here and that man won't, won't sell me no chicken legs. Come on, man. Cut that out, Steve. We don't so how that. do we, um, so fellas, I want to, um, I really want to continue this conversation because yeah. we spent the whole time. I think it was some productive time, but uh, um, I I would like, because unfortunately, not unfortunately, we are in Black History Month. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black history is American history. Don't give me a month. Uh, I want to talk about- Wait a minute. Uh, Hey, part two. Give him a part two. No, yeah, yeah, we- We built this country. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're I not just relegated to 28 days in February. The shortest month. The shortest well, I, I month. Don't, I don't think that's what black history means, though. If you look at it like that, I see why you would say that, though. But look, look, can you give me... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, man. See, now you, you got to roll. roll. Yeah. Roll keep, this thing, moment is. keep this thing hey, rolling. You can go out to it. You cover two weeks. Get your rest for the next week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that's right. No, no. Do part two. Okay, yeah, we got time. Yeah, yeah. We can, can we talk? No, yeah. I don't want to mess up no, stuff. No, we can. We mm-hmm. can. You got time? I got time. But now we see now this one, the part two. This yeah. get ready no, to be curved. No, yeah. we got time. We got time. <laughs> okay, we got, we got time. time because this is. Yeah, this I ain't got to put it to one. This is important. This, this is, important. is important because listen, yeah. I believe that yes. the answer for Black America. Okay. Is in Black America. See, and when you do part two, start with that, and then yeah. go into the joint. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's my that that's my that's my vantage point. And again. It's a personal experience that is connected to that Mm -hmm. because of the people that I have in my immediate circle. Because of what I know Mm -hmm. and what I've personally been through, I'm able to say that Scott can help Scott. Not that the system does not play a role. Sure, sure. In policies and in programs and in regulations and all of those things across all lines. But I believe... I believe that the answer to black America mm-hmm. is lies within black America. A portion. Okay. And the greatest portion. I will say that, yes, you're right. A portion. But in the greatest portion, it does. But now there is some folk that got to, you know, move some stuff out of the way. I get that. But I, yeah, I get yeah. that. So, I get that. That goes back to that conversation about personal responsibility. So mm-hmm. at the individual level, to your point, man, Lawrence, as a father and husband in my house, 
I have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. to do certain things. Black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Mm-hmm. God-given. And as I recognize what uh, you know, uh, community is doing around me or what's happening in society, yeah, I can, to a certain extent, um, put things in my children and my family to help them as they leave the house. Mm-hmm. But to Lee's point... I also have to inform them. If I'm going to be a good steward of my position, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to also say, you're going to thrive in this. You're going to do this, put you up, set you up, help pay for this, and all that. I also have to say, here's the history of this country. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Today didn't start. What we're dealing with today didn't start today. Yeah. yeah. So when you walk out there, I don't want you to be unprepared. Yeah, yeah. So and right, that's value in it. That's value in that's it. That's value in that. Right. That, I'm not that telling, is absolute value. But I'm not saying to them this this pressure go come so fall back and quit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay. but how many people in that? How many people take that 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 uh, uh, stance on this thing? Because we we'll say, look, there's just racism. Now, look, the cops killing everybody. Now, whereas before, if you wanted to just plant on your land, you could get hung. Right. Now, you know, yeah, there's there, there's there's data to show that cops are killing folk. Yeah. And that our our black men, black women that they are going out there and and stuff can happen to you. Yep. But to Holman's point, yep. that there is so much more opportunity. Oh, sure. There's so much more opportunity. And yes, because as you say, you're going to you tell your kid that these things can happen. Yep. So now that I'm prepared and I know that these things can happen, I can watch and, and you know be on guard yep. for these things when they happen so I can be prepared and I can overcome the obstacle. Yeah. So that's how we get you know to the point where we are that came from where we are to get to where we are. We're not rich, right? Mm-hmm. but I'm not begging Either. That's right. exactly right. You can eat what you want to eat. That's right. it. And so there's that personal response, the house. But yeah. you can't dismiss the systems, like to your point, yeah, absolutely. in place, right? So if there's a governing p- uh, thing, and by the way, so we get into some more Bible in this section, right? <laughs> yeah, let's get it. Right? So <laughs> Romans 13, right? The government has a role. Yeah, yes, the government does. has a role. It has it a role. And because they are in a position of authority, it's only because God allows it. Yeah, that's right? right. And so we have to say, well, if God has given this position of authority to exist, I don't expect the government to be the church, mm-hmm. but I do expect them to go against evil mm-hmm. to celebrate that which is right. And so if the government, for example, has been very involved, as I said in the first part, in the demise of a group, and they have been historically. Yeah, yeah. They have mm-hmm. been. Yeah. Then if they try to put forth effort to assist in the repair, to assist in the repair, then I have to at least hear that. Even though sometimes in that assist, going back to what you said previously, they can put together a program that actually helps to perpetuate the wrong thing. Exactly. So I say, for example, from the government, okay, there's poverty. Uh, you got a single mom. All right, let me give him some help. Mm-hmm. Okay, then a dude show up. Uh, if that dude show up, yeah. take it out. Yeah, I'm, you, the help. Yeah. So the system yeah. wasn't saying, how can I continue to keep a single, I suppose. I think that the intent initially for most was to help. Mm-hmm. But then you see, okay, so she is choosing to stay single so she don't lose her benefits or they're not getting married. He in the house, but they ain't getting married yeah, and all yeah, this yeah, other yeah, chaos. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So there's individuals. And those are real conversations, Those are real things. Oh, yeah. Like, those are real conversations. Yeah. My mother, I remember when we were, when I was 11 years old, the first time we got on food stamps, we lived in a homeless shelter, uh, moved with people, but now we're on food stamps for real, for real. My mother set me down. She says, we will not be on food stamps for long. I refuse to mm. let this govern us. Mm. And so we were on food stamps for a season, and we, we worked through that. She went and got a job. She went back to school, got her college degree in her 40s. Mm. You know what I mean? But that's the decision she made. Everybody yeah. making that decision. So, man, Ooh. so, oh man, it's, God dang it. So <laughs> my grandmother, God bless her soul, she went home to be with the Lord in December of 2018. My my. God bless her, man. I think about her almost every day. But my grandmother grew up during the time of Jim Crow. Mm. Like, she remember black water fountain, white water fountain. Mm-hmm. She was alive when Emmett, uh, Emmett Till got killed. Mm. 
And I remember a conversation with my grandmother so vividly, so vividly. This happened in 2015. Well, my grandmother said, I endured. Now, my grandmother worked as a waitress and as a dishwasher for most of her life. The hardest working person that I've ever known. Hardest working person that I've ever known. Um, you know, God allowed me to bust some tables while she was waitering um, in Texarkana during the day. But I remember a conversation with her when she said, I've gone through the hell that I've gone through so that my kids' kids wouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. When I look at you guys, I'm inspired. And, and I'm not, I'm giving you your roses while you live. Bless you, man. I, I am inspired when I hear about a story of a Lawrence Scott. Mm who was, and you just alluded to it, I didn't want to allude to it until you, mm. you know, dove into it, mm. but was that the Star of Hope? God did what he did through the Star of Hope, took you out of the Star, now with God's help. Yes. Okay, that, that's the framework. Yes. Now you serve on the board of the Star of Hope, mm-hmm. doing commercials for the Star of Hope, mm-hmm. and you are one of the smartest guys that I know, and mm-hmm. God has done that. And so when I hear all of this stuff, I say, Lawrence Scott, yeah. Okay. Pastor Lee on the other side. Now I ain't, I'm not going to tell your story until you open it up. Mm-hmm. But this brother here is also another one that inspires me. So looking at what God has allowed this brother to do from where he came from and all of the challenges that he had to do in his personal life to now being the executive director over a pantry that is literally feeding thousands of people Amen. a month. Yeah. Bless you, man. I'm able to man? say. Uh, Pastor Lee, yeah. and then I look at uh, at my spiritual father, our spiritual father, yes. Pastor August. Yes, you know if you oh. blink, yep. you're yeah. gonna drive right through Abbeville. Yeah. Absolutely. You blink, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. right. Yep. yep, yep. This brother tells you his story. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. And 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 I, I'm a beneficiary yeah. of somebody that refused to take notes. We all are. We, like, in we, that aspect, we are all. Yeah, yes. in that so aspect, yeah. I look at it and I say, Pastor August. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm not relegating it to that, but the, you know, within my circle, and I'm around a bunch of people that will hold me accountable yes. to decisions that I make. So yes. if y'all hear about me mistreating my wife we or come and get you, you, you're mm-hmm. coming after me, right? Because yeah. I have a group around me yeah. that loves me enough that's going to hold me accountable. Yes. I think that's the way that we move this thing forward. Not to not acknowledge the issues, yep. not to tug the historical factor, yes. or the, you know, the biblical side of it. Yes. But that's a part of the conversation. No, I love it. But then to move it in such a way as we inspire people to do something beyond that. I, I, well, as we are talking now, we, we, you know, the Bible says this, that, you know, never grow weary in well-doing. Mm-hmm. So as we are That's your Bible. black That's men, Bible, man. as we, as, <laughs> as we are yeah. uh, uh, black men sitting here with, with telling our stories, you talked about your grandmother. I watched the uh, 40 Years a Prisoner. Mm. It was about the MOVE organization in Philadelphia in 1978. I lived it. Mm. In 1978, they had uh, black people that were holed up in a, a, a house. They poured hoses. 1978, I'm alive. I'm only 55 years old. Mm. Put hoses in there with the babies and the, the, the women mm. to try to get them to come out of the house mere, simply because they, the neighbors didn't want them there. Mm. And the mayor said, you know what? They shouldn't have taken over our city. Mm. So I've experienced these, these this, this racism. And then you look at... In 1984, I think the same thing, the mayor bombed a house and burned down a whole city block because some black folks just decided they wanted to live a certain way outside of how society said they should live. Mm-hmm. And this is in Philadelphia. Now, I'm, I'm, this is context for mm-hmm. what, yeah. what we're talking about. This ain't the the, the 
uh, the rural South. Mm-hmm. This is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the fifth, sixth largest city. And it was at the time the fourth largest city. Uh, I can remember one time in, in the city where there was an interracial couple that moved in together. They bought the house in on, on a block in South Philadelphia. And if anybody's familiar with Philadelphia and how the uh, architecture is, the houses are row houses. They're all connected mm-hmm. with sheetrock in the middle. They came together and bombed the house, set the house on fire. So if I set your house on fire, the house on this side is going to get smoke or water damage, and the house on this side is going to get smoke or water damage, or it's all going to burn up. So I have experienced this racism in my life. I have, with these eyes, seen a cross burning. Mm-hmm. So I understand that racism exists. But when I talked about before about the victim mentality, I refused, and my father and my mother refused mm-hmm. to allow me to be a victim. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be a victim. you got to continue to press on and continue to push through. Yeah. I, I don't disregard that there are people that 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 had uh, didn't have the opportunities that I had. Yeah, you know, I had both parents in the house. Father was a trash man. Mom was a mate. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm from a third generation college family. You guys know my story. Mm-hmm. You know, I dropped out of college the first time because I, I didn't take advantage of all the opportunities that I had. But when I started to think about and I started to look at all of the opportunities that I had. Something inside of me said, you know what, we're not going to waste this. Yeah. And yeah. I refused to let my kids make excuses, but I did have that conversation yeah. that, yes, these things happen, but here's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, here's yeah. what you have to do. That's yeah. why we talk, I talk about the victim. I, I, we don't do victim in my house. I like matter of fact, I told my boys when they were young, Lees don't have tear glands. We don't cry. <laughs> okay, the next section, let's talk about how you need to let your kids cry. Okay, um, parenting skills. But, but I, I think you're rightly, um, and back to what you said, even biblically, right? Because somebody might hear this conversation and say, uh, it's not just a black thing. When you say, hey, the, the, I don't know how you framed it, but the help that the black folks need is with black folks. Within us. Within us. And know this, it is possible to take an interest in your ethnic group and still press towards unity. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Could, you yeah. know what I mean? Because some people get that confused. But when you look in the Bible, That's a good word. when Moses got his position, mm-hmm. he took interest in his folks and yeah. made sacrifice. Mm-hmm. When yeah, you look yeah, at yeah. Esther, yeah. she took interest in her folks. And so it's a, it's, you can do that and still be pressing towards a unified yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, that's there, a good word. That's there, a good word. There, there is definitely stuff that we can do. And I think like those biblical uh, characters, we have to take our positions that the Lord has given us mm-hmm. and not get to a place where we act like we act brand new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we have yeah. to yeah. leverage mm-hmm. what yeah. we have mm-hmm. to be yeah. a support to, yeah. to folks who, and again, let me stop doing it like I'm, I made it. I ain't made it nowhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, Doc. But with whatever, yeah, the, Lord, with whatever the Lord has given, yeah. to be a good steward of it, I have to be able to say, how can I assist? And if the Lord has given mm-hmm. me a platform as a pastor, Mm-hmm. How can we biblically walk through this to be an assist to people? In and that's a good word. Yeah. Man. That 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 yeah. that is the Genesis one, right? Because yeah. we are looking for unity, not uniformity. That's it. Man. There you go. Uh, there and, you go. And I think that's a. I think that's, that's a good word, man. That's the that's the aim, right? Yes, is to. Uh, I, I don't know if we can all, you know, skip down the yellow brick road singing Kumbaya until. Right. You know, Jesus gets back, but I do believe we can make some dramatic inroads in helping nice. to bridge these chasms. I don't. Even, I would say we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not even we can't. We, we have to. That's good mm-hmm. because it really now speaks to again. I'm, I'm trying to take a biblical perspective in a matter of discipleship, right? That includes um, reaching people and walking with them. Yeah, now, yeah. there's a biblical framework and view, but in the process of discipleship, you're touching everything, right? And so I think we have to be able to be in a position to do so. And and from from your guys' perspective, man, as we're looking at 2021 and all the stuff that is still going on, the stuff that we are still having to face, man, it takes it takes people 
um, that are willing to sit down because I've been enlightened on both sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> he, he knows <laughs> I can sometimes <laughs> dig my heels in. Man. Um, but, but, but one of the things that, that I'm grateful for is that I don't despise knowledge. Right? I, I don't despise knowledge. I'm, uh, and one of the, the progressive ways about having conversations like this is that each party, if you're willing, yep. if you're willing, yep. can glean right, and can pull something away that you're able to take to another conversation yep. right, and then broaden uh, your perspective. And so I'm just from the opinion and, and from the mindset that, man, I, I don't believe that we are, you know, at a point to where we can all, you know, yoke up together and, you know, do to do. Mm. Um, but I do believe, man, that this thing, this giant that I'm standing on the shoulders of my great grandmother, her mother and my ancestors before them, that I owe them a duty mm-hmm. to press the hell out of the system, to fight about, to fight against it with every ounce of being that I have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a I have a duty to my grandmother specifically in which I'm talking about mm. to do so much better than what she did mm-hmm. because that's what she fought for and that's the hell that she went through mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't have to. Now, is it going to be in my lifetime? I don't know. Probably not. But can I chip away at this system bit by bit? Mm-hmm. I believe I can. So what do we say but, to the guy who says, man, well, you had all these opportunities because these people have, have come in, in your way and, and, and uh, have helped you, impressed you. And giving you opportunities, what do you say to to that brother and that sister? Uh, from, I, I, I would ask, what do you define? I mean, Scott said he had uncles and he had people. Uh, you know, um, I don't want to go back to the whole dad thing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Say so. Yeah. So again, that goes. With- <laughs> Yeah. Uh, part three. Part three. <laughs> Fatherlessness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I ain't yeah. part that of that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. He don't there, know you go. there you go. <laughs> I think. But so, um, so even when I said I had uncles, right? It's, their presence was enough. Yeah. And to, I guess to Lee's point, there are some people who maybe don't even have that a mm. positive presence. But again, it goes back to ours. See, that's why I think back to what you said. If that brother exists, mm-hmm. I would say to that brother right there, I'm available. Yeah, Because mm-hmm. there was a, a time, mm-hmm. and, I, and I asked that question because there was a time in, in, in our community where we had uh, pastors and leaders and, well, and teachers and yep. people that were in our everyday life yep. to where we could look and see that, that you know, I want to be like that person. Yep. I think that part of us, you, the answer being within ourselves is some of us have to go back. And, and when I say some of us, I'm not talking about successful. I'm talking about some of us who understand that there is some obstacles and understand that the system's still in place that we go back to the community and we go back in there and get on the ground and stop looking at those Negroes. I'll say it. I'll go ahead and say it because there's some of us that will sit there and say, you know, well, <laughs> you know, those, they, no, we got to go back and, and put some time back into the community mm-hmm. because fatherlessness is worse than it ever was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have yeah. just guys and people that are, that, that don't have uh a, a good story mm-hmm. because of the way the system set up. But we're not, that's not this show. That was last show yeah, yeah. that we had brothers that, that were locked up and mm-hmm. they, and you know, that happened. Yes. But we got to give them inspiration. And then we got to give inspiration to the generation behind and say, yes, you can. I don't know how many times that I've told my story about drug addiction and underachieving and all that to people. And they sit there going, what mm-hmm. really? Yes. That's the, that, that's my story. Mm-hmm. That's what it, but that's the inspiration. Mm-hmm. And that's how in, in our community we can come back 
and, and, and do and give back and r- help us to raise up as a people. And so men have to kind of have to. And do so that. not to beat this proverbial dead horse, but that is that is the essence of what I'm saying. Your mm-hmm. mother said, you know what? We ain't going to be on food stamps long. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to press through your parents, your mom and your dad say, listen, don't, ain't no excuses over here. Mm-hmm. I, I 47 years old, didn't find out my dad's first name until I was 27. Mm. Only talked to him twice in my entire life. Never seen him a day before in my life. That was a driving force for me to be the best dad that I could possibly be for my four kids. I was absolutely determined that my children would never go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. Never would go to bed and daddy not be in the house. Never wake up and daddy not be in there. That was a personal decision that I made. Mm. I got, I was getting ready to say my cousin's name. I ain't going to say that. (laughs) I got some people around me yeah. that still perpetuated that same cycle yep. from the exact same exact same uh, bowl, yep. exact same environment. Yep. Two different decisions were made in people that came from the exact same environment with the exact same circumstances, but two different decisions were made. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking about that, all I'm simply saying is we can, within the black community, with all of the stuff and the barrels of hell aimed against us and all the systems that are put against us, which we acknowledge, we can still say that through hell or high water, I'm getting ready to change some things. Mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to press back, Mm -hmm. no matter what it looks like, on this that is oppressing me. I believe that we can do that as a a black community. I agree. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you have to, you can't say you can't ignore the other factors to your point. So, yes, we have to do this. But also, if we have people of diversity, uh, diverse people in public office who can help navigate legislation in certain spaces to help change some systems, that helps, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That ain't the final answer. Like, mm-hmm. we trust in God with everything, but it helps. Yeah, it yeah. helps. So yeah. It's, it's what happens in your house. It's, you know, some effect in public office and, and a few other factors that kind of play into it. I just think sometimes people say it's just this and they yeah, drive yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah, 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 and yeah. ignore yeah, this piece yeah, on both yeah, sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's oh, fact. That's value. Man. Joseph chose to be faithful. There you go, oh, that man. Bible. Come in here with that scripture, man. <laughs> he chose to be faithful, right? Scripture, no matter man. what he went through, and he yes. went through a lot. Yes. He chose to be faithful. Ooh, now, that second time, I don't follow him like, Lord, look here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the jail thing? Come on. I'd be like, now, first time I was in a hole, now come I'm on. in jail. But, <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah for something that I didn't do. But he, he chose <laughs> yeah. to be faithful no matter what his circumstance or situation was. Yes. So as we're talking about this unity and unification through the gospel, we've got to give people these messages of hope. And here's the thing. I, tell, I think I, I shared this with you before, that... Everybody has a story. Everybody has a situation. Mm-hmm. Do you choose to let that situation be your springboard or your crutch? Yeah, that, mm-hmm. yeah. Which one do yeah. you choose? Facts. Because the, the the same it's the same situation. Now I can uh. bounce off of this thing and say because I didn't have a dad, I'm going to rise higher and be the best dad that I want to be. Or I can take this crutch and say, man, woe is me. I ain't yeah, never yeah, had yeah, no yeah, daddy. Yeah, right. So yeah. therefore, I, yeah, you right. know, my dad was 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 a functional right. alcoholic. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I could say, hey, well, you know, because he was a functional alcoholic, I can just I was a functional drug addict. Mm-hmm. I could have stayed in that space. Mm-hmm. I was had a job, you know, wasn't the greatest job, but it was a pretty good job in handling my business. But no, that's not I, that springboard. that says, man, I want better. I want to do better. I want to be better. And, and that's because of the foundation that my mother gave me yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, with, with Christ yeah. and said, man, you can be better. You can do better. Mm-hmm. And there's always that hope. But I, I'm glad that God allowed me to stay faithful. Yeah. 
to what he had called me to do because you couldn't have told me that today I'd be sitting here doing this yeah, right? yeah, yeah. based on what God has allowed us to happen. Yeah. It has so, allowed to happen. Uh, I want you guys to, I'm going to put this on camera so I can put y'all on blast. Look at your schedule because we got to come back and do a part two. Yeah. I um, thought this was part two. No, we no, we're going to do a part part two. Okay. Oh, a part, I'm part two. Gotcha. Um, you buying lunch? Because we got to, yeah, we, you know, we can, yeah, we can do our thing. We can do our curve thing, man. I'll put that out on camera. We no, no, no. Do, you, you didn't no. answer the question. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Okay. okay. Put me on go. blast. Yeah, yeah, we will I, confirm whether or not he asked <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 we want to do this, man. But I want to. I want to thank you guys, man, because you know, curb means a lot to me. Yeah. You you guys know that, and you know I don't. You know the whole male friendship kind of you know dichotomy is something that you know. Without going into that, I appreciate curb. Uh, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the challenge. I appreciate the the biblical unity that we have as yeah, brothers. Because uh, I think that's one of the things, or the thing that holds us together the way that it does. Because um, I want to talk about some stuff on the next one. Yeah. Because uh, racism goes all the way back to the Bible. The Bible speaks about racism. Yes. Um, so, you know, Ecclesiastes 3, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm. Right? So there are ways in which we can look at the biblical narrative and see what God did in those particular spaces and then try to copy and paste that over to where we are today. But I also want to talk about on our next show, I want to give them a little bit of a heads up. We're going to talk about politics. And I want to talk about something that's important to me, mm. and that's the decimation of the black home. Mm. The decimation of the black home, single mother homes, absentee fathers, it's all uh, economic disenfranchise, uh, all of those things that yeah. come along with making a home. Your children, my children, your children are a hundred times less likely mm -hmm. because of the foundation that they enjoy at the house. Mm -hmm to be in any of these situations that we're speaking of now. And it's because of certain things that are being done inside of the four walls of our houses that are solidifying these generations to come. Now, this isn't just, this isn't, we're not just talking about black kids. We're talking about American yeah, I'm, families. I'm, yeah, but I'm specifically framing this to our, the, the black culture. Not saying that numbers are making look in one, I'm saying that there is a definite, uh, here at Bethel's family on the southwest side of Houston, we see this a lot. There's a lot of little babies running around this church and the daddies ain't running with them. It's a lot of little things. And you know, I know some of the challenges that come along with that. Um, my children will never have to experience some of the things that I did as a kid coming up in a single parent household because they have both mother and father there. Uh, my mom, I mean, my wife stayed at home as a stay at home mom for six years, you know, during the most formidable years of my, of my kid's life. And she was able to do that, mm. right? And I believe that that had a positive impact on them moving forward. So just uh, when we come back for the part two, everybody, uh, we'll take care of that. I want to just I want to say this publicly, man. God bless you, Scott. Bless you, man. Um, Harvest Point Church, uh, Church over there off of Five Eighteen mm -hmm. in in well, Pearland, Shadow Creek Parkway. Well, Shadow Creek Parkway. Yeah. Um, go ahead and give a plug out to to the ministry. That go your camera right there. Look right, right here, there, right there. That's your camera. So. Um, I think my mother was actually 50 when she got a degree. I wanted to clear that up. Um, <laughs> Harvest Point Fellowship Church, 12155 Shadow Creek Parkway. We'll love to see you. Great teacher. Yeah. Great, great teacher, man. It's encouraging, man. Uh, great, great, great expositor. Great expositor. I'm trying to be like him when I grow yeah, up. Yeah, that's no, a good no, word, no, man. No, Scott no. is uh, Scott doing his thing. Let me say this also. Um, I love you, man. 
I appreciate yeah, that, I man. I love you, Doc. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. And, and I love and, you, and, too. And watch this. Sure. Do you realize that he said that and didn't have to connect something to it? Like, man, I love <laughs> you, man. Love, love you in the Lord, man. Love you in the Lord, man. No, he just said, I love you, brother. That's it. Yeah. you can. Now, I told my sons, you can say I love you. You just can't cry. It's all good. Yeah, real talk. Real talk. So, Lee, right there in the camera, man, go ahead and give a shout-out to to the ministry that you oversee. Uh, Bethel's Heavenly Hands is the benevolence arm of Bethel's Family Baptist Church, and we're located at 12660 Sandpiper Road, Houston, Texas, 77035. If you uh, have some need that we can uh, fulfill or fill, just give us a call or come on by and see us. And, I, and I'll say it just like Scott. I love you. I love you, <laughs> brother. brother, for sure. Because, yeah. uh, man, y'all helped me through some stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man, you don't know. Yeah. Bishop, Bishop, you got to answer your phone, though. Bro. Pray for me. Pray yeah. for me. Yeah. No, 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 no. Scott busy, man. Scott no, busy. Man. No, ain't that uh, busy. But, man, Pray I friend. thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Really, I want you guys to look at your calendars for next week. If we're able to do it, we're able to do it. If not, we'll make some uh, adjustments because I definitely want to get to some of the things that we text uh, so that we can talk about it, man. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And remember, no matter where you're watching us from, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, likes, comments, subscribe, wherever you access your podcast from, Spotify, Pandora, wherever that may be, you can also get Studio B right there. Thank you uh, for two uh, 2,500 subscribers on YouTube, man. We appreciate oh, that. Man. Send that out to everybody else, man. Like, follow, and subscribe. And we'll see you guys next week, man. God bless you. Okay.